The gospel for this Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I was fortunate to spend the last week in Carefree, Arizona, just outside Phoenix, at a conference called Executive Skills for Church Leaders. I know it sounds really exciting. We talked about things like accounting and finances, marketing, leadership, strategic thinking, and vision and mission statements. And it was a great event, really well-organized, lots of information. But there's no doubt that having a conference in Phoenix in January is going to be attractive to someone from Seattle, regardless of the content of the conference. And it was lovely to see the sun, to watch the desert landscape as the sun rose in the morning and set in the evening and stayed in the sky for a fair amount longer than you and I are used to in these January days. In between conversations on missional strategy and fund accounting and leadership case studies, it was delightful to walk outside and breathe the desert air and look at all of the prickly cactus branches. Now, I am not foolish enough to complain to Pacific Northwesterners about Phoenix in January. No good can come from that. But what I did notice and struggled with was the dry air. You probably noticed that I've had a cough for a while. The lingering effects of a cold which is long gone. And boy, I thought the dry air would help, but it did not. I carried chapstick in my pocket and I put it on more times in a day than I do here in a week. I couldn't get enough lotion on my hands which were red and chapped by the time we left. Not a drop of humidity in the air. And all week, I craved it. What a difference just a little bit of water makes, it turns out. And that's exactly where Jesus finds himself this morning. In a place where just a little bit of water is going to make all the difference he needs. He's come out to the wilderness to his cousin, John, who's been out there baptizing people for quite a while and calling them to repent and turn and change their ways. John is surprised and sort of disturbed to see Jesus. He says, what? why are you coming to me? Our places ought to be switched. But Jesus simply wades into the water, just like everyone else, and tells John, this is what we need to do. This is what God wants. And John's not going to argue with that. So Jesus is baptized, just like hundreds of other people who've come out there. And as he comes up from the water, the Spirit of God descends on him, 
And a voice says from heaven, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. All that from just a little bit of water. Now you'd be forgiven if you wondered exactly what Jesus had done to this point in the story to make God so pleased with him. We are, after all, only in chapter 3. This is actually the first time we meet Jesus as an adult. He has done nothing yet. At least nothing anybody wrote down in Matthew's gospel. And yet God is pleased, well pleased, and calls Jesus beloved. In fact, the only story we hear about Jesus before this in Matthew's telling of it is how he managed to survive a brutal dictatorship and a flight from his homeland. Jesus was only a child when some astrologers, wise men, gifted at reading the stars in the sky, arrived at the palace of King Herod, asking about where they could find the new king, which is generally the last thing that the current king wants to think about. Under the guise of joining their quest, Herod tells them to go find this king and then make sure you come back and tell me where he is so that I too can welcome him into this job. But the wise men see something not quite right in Herod's eye. And warned by an angel, they go home by a different road. At that, the enraged Herod calls for the death of all baby boys in and around Bethlehem who are aged two and under just to make sure that he has eliminated this threat. Warned in a dream to flee, Joseph takes Mary and Jesus to Egypt of all places, the land where their ancestors were once slaves, but which is now the only safe place they can go from this corrupt ruler who thinks of nothing but his own tenuous grip on power. Now, the fact that Jesus survives all that has really nothing to do with him. It has to do with the angels and his parents, the bravery of this couple to cross a border in desperate hope that they can save their child's life. So all of this means that Jesus grows up knowing deeply in his bones how brutal and cruel the world can be. He lives in a world where leaders can abuse their power for no reason other than their desire to stay in power. Where families of all shapes and sizes flee from violence and corruption, running into the night and crossing borders because they can no longer survive in the land they've called home for generations. Where children are the victims of conflicts between adults. They have no control over any of it. Or some people will go to sleep in palaces and other people will find themselves on the streets unsure what they will eat or where they will be in the next day. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? A world very much like the one we know. A world both brutal and beautiful. A world that God loves. And a world that God looks at and says, you know, just a little bit of water would really make a difference. 
Water, as you know, is both gift and curse, both necessary and dangerous. It gives life, and it takes it away. So you can crave that little bit of water in the desert to cleanse and refresh. But if you turn down the temperature so that water comes down as snow, watch the meteorologists freak out. Water douses fires. Think of how badly the people of Australia hope and pray for any form of moisture to come down from the sky. But water also floods and rages. It destroys homes and lives. Water is nothing to be taken lightly, nothing to mess with. Just a little bit of it can change everything, for better and for worse. But a little bit of water is just what God prescribes. So Jesus goes to the muddy Jordan River alongside his cousin and hundreds of other people who have come out to the wilderness to do the same thing. And John baptizes Jesus, as John has done for all these other people, just the same way. Washes him clean, calls him to repent, sends him on his way. The most extraordinary thing about this story is that it's not unusual. It happened to lots of other people, too. Lots of other people who made their way into the wilderness for that little bit of water in the hope that it might change them. And God sees that, that ordinary act. And God says what God said a long time ago when all the land and the water came to be. When God breathed life into those first humans and put them in the garden and told them to be fruitful and flourish and take care of all this stuff, God said, this is good. This is really good. I am well pleased, my beloved. A little bit of water doesn't look like much until you don't have any. A little bit of water doesn't do much until you realize how thirsty you are. A little bit of water doesn't look like it'll do anything until you splash it on someone's head and you call them a child of God and you remind them that they are beloved and you send them into the world just the way Jesus was sent to heal and forgive, to transform and make new, to love without limit, and to seek justice without fear. That little bit of water changes everything. But we still wonder if it's really enough. If that little bit of water, those words, are really enough for the challenges that we face in this world. What is a little bit of water going to do about international tensions and threatening worlds, words <laughs> hurled between leaders who seem intent on conflict while their people wait and watch with anxious hearts? What is a little bit of water going to do about so much injustice in the world built into the way we work so seemingly permanent that we don't know how to take the world apart and put it back together any better? What is a little bit of water going to do about a world that's drowning in stuff and plastic and heating up day by day, ice melting and coastline shrinking 
while we argue about what to do. What's a little bit of water going to do for our neighbors who might have to sleep in their car or on the street while the world leaves them behind faster and faster every day? We are hardly the only generation to look around and ask God if maybe we need a little more than that water. We're hardly the first people to think that it's actually power or money or prestige or luxury or security or something else that we can build and produce that will save us. Those things, we think, are more. But over and over again, God tells us the story, reminds us where to start. Or maybe better said, God reminds us where God starts, which is out there, in the wilderness, where you don't know where you are, and everything is waiting. Out there with just a little bit of water and a promise. For you, my child, are beloved. With you, God is well pleased. So we can go into this world trusting that this is most certainly true for us, too. Just a little bit of water makes all the difference we need. Amen.